Well, as I've been doing the last several weeks, uh, because we have a long passage, I'm going to uh, read it as we go along. So um, let me get my things set up here. So uh, the, the back half of the program has uh, has an outline of sorts as well as the text. So, um, so uh, I encourage you to look at it and... Um, uh, and uh, we will uh, we will fight with our machine here. So, all right. So, um, so we are wrapping up this series. Uh, we've been looking at uh, uh, the five books in the in the Bible that have one chapter. Um, and so the idea there is that uh, there are one hit wonders that they had just one one work in which to uh, to uh, get across what they wanted to say. So they have one chapter. And um, if you've been tracking with us, uh, you know that there are just those five. And there's one in the Hebrew scriptures. And let's see if any can can remember what it's called. It's the book of Obadiah. Obadiah. All right. So I heard one answer. So okay. So so um, uh, let's try the New Testament. There's four in the New Testament. We haven't heard one of them yet. But the the three we have heard are um, I'll get you started. Second John and. Third John, very good. You're Bible scholars, okay. And then also, also uh, Jude. So, so that's what we've looked at so far. Today we're going to look at the last one, Philemon. And um, Philemon is um, is a uh, uh, is a super practical uh, book. And I want to I want to share with you just the, the the great lessons we can get from the book of Philemon. It's not something that is simply located in the first century. It's something that you can use on a regular basis. But um, that's why I called the, the message today, How to Influence People. If you don't have anybody that you need to influence, then it's not going to be practical to you. But for people who actually live in a world full of people and you need to influence people, I think you'll find that this is a very, um, very practical book. I stole the title, as you can tell. I stole the title from a famous uh, book, uh, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, and I, I didn't want to talk today about the winning friends. Uh, Jesus actually has advice about that, but we'll do that some other day. Jesus tells us exactly how we should win friends, but um, uh, but we'll do that some other day. Today, we're going to talk about how to influence people. So, so um, uh, the 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 idea here today is that we're going to we're going to try and influence people, and that's the situation that we're we're looking at as as uh, Paul begins his um, his letter. And again, if you don't have anybody you need to influence, um, that's okay. But most of us do. And if you're not a Christian, the good news is this will work for you too. If you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, if you're kind of skeptical or you're just not sure, you're trying to figure it all out, then this technique that Paul uses will work for you just as it would for a Christian. Um, there's only one part of it that actually involves God. And I've checked with God and he's okay if you use that. So, um, so in fact, if you do use that part of this technique, I'll, I'll go over it when we get there. But but uh, if you use that technique, um, God may actually surprise you. I mean, you may find you're actually um, less skeptical than you used to be. So, so um, it's something that's super practical. But for Christians, it's not just a question of practicality. It's not just something you can use. It's something we have to use because Christians are called to bear one another's burdens. Christians are called to get into each other's business in the best way. And I know sometimes... We don't do it in the best way. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's the reason you left that church or that's the reason your mom left church or whatever it is. And so I understand that. But if Christians would uh, try to influence people the way that Paul does in this letter, I think there'd be less of that. People wouldn't have the hurt feelings they do and they wouldn't feel that Christians are so bossy. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But... Um, before we do, I want to talk about the, the elephant in the room in, in the case of the letter to Philemon is the question of slavery. And I'm not going to talk about slavery today. 
uh, because it's a big topic. It deserves its own message. And so um, we'll do that some other day. Um, if you're, if you really want to talk about it, then um, there's a little uh, orange ask me anything question forms. So make one now and remember to bring it back when we have our next ask me anything. So seriously, I think it's important to talk about um, slavery is a, is a big topic. And I know I'm, I'm, utterly aware of the critique from outside the church that Christians have been complicit in slavery and the Bible countenance of slavery and people say, I can't have anything to do with Christianity because it doesn't it doesn't uh, rule out uh, slavery the way I would wish it would. And my only brief answer to that is, for it's true, for over a thousand years the church uh, treated slavery exactly the way other people did. Um, but uh, starting in the 1700s or really uh, in um, Latin America in the 1500s, uh, Christians began to question that and they began to realize that they could not in good conscience behave the way the rest of the world was behaving uh, in the area of slavery. And that's why Christians led the anti-slavery campaigns um, in the 17th uh, and 18th centuries. Uh, uh, we talked about last week William Wilberforce. And even today, the leading organization in the world, the largest um, international organization uh, operating to fight human trafficking in the world is a Christian organization called International Justice Mission. And if you're, if, if slavery is an issue for you, I encourage you to look into IJM.org, International Justice Mission, and you can see uh, how they're working to actually get people out of human trafficking. So, so I'm aware that slavery is an issue, but we're not going to talk about it except what I've just said. But, but slavery is the context. And the reason for that is that the reason that Paul wants to influence somebody is because of a slave named Onesimus. Paul has, has come into contact with a, with a slave named Onesimus. And we don't know exactly what his story was, uh, but we know that, that Paul has befriended him. Paul actually led him to Christ and has befriended him. And Paul needs to advocate with his owner on his behalf. We don't know exactly what the situation is. There are traditions in the early church that say that, that, Philemon, that, that, um, that um, Onesimus had run away. And um, Probably more than that, if he ran away, he probably took some stuff with him. So if you were running away from the person who owned you, you'd probably steal whatever you could before you before you uh, hit the door. So uh, that may have been what Philemon did. But it could also be that Philemon was, that, that, that Philemon, uh, Onesimus, the owner of Onesimus was a man named Philemon. And it could be that his complaint was simply that Onesimus had been a bad manager. And the reason for that is if you think about the first century, they didn't have calculators, they didn't have, uh, they still used Roman numerals. And so, so the people who did the math, the people who actually were household um, accountants, the people who ran the household were typically slaves because it was drudgery. And so why would the owner do that, right? He would, you know, I'm not going to look at my, my checkbook. I've got people who do that for me. And so it could be that actually Philemon is upset with Onesimus simply because of bad management or something like that. But whether he's a runaway slave, whether he's a bad manager, whatever the reason is, we don't know. But Paul has befriended him, and Paul would have solved, we see in the letter, Paul feels very tenderly toward Onesimus. He would solve Onesimus' problem if he could, but he can't. Because of the context of slavery, it's not in his power to solve to solve his uh, Onesimus' problem. He has to go to Philemon. And so the person he wants to influence is Philemon. And that's how we're going to have an opportunity to see what the lesson is here about how to influence people. So so the topic today is how to influence people. And in particular, uh, I don't know what page I'm on. There we go. How do you, Mine's not updating, of course. So I'm just going to... I'm going to turn it back on, and then I'm going to leave it alone from here forth. All right. 
I trust Anita. Okay, so so we're going to talk about how to get how to get um, how to get what you want from people from people who are Christians. Man. All right. So uh, so so let's go ahead and take a look at the letter, and I'm just going to throw this away and burn it. All right. So. All right. So, um, so uh, the letter. So, um, how to get from Christian? How to get what you want, especially from Christians, but really from anybody. So, uh, the letter begins verse one. Um, this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news. I've got this in bigger print. Um, a prisoner for preaching um, the good news about Jesus uh, Christ, Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Apphia, and our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the house that meets in your church. So uh, this is standard first century letter writing. You begin by saying who sent it, and then you say who it's to. So Paul says he is Paul, and he de- describes himself here as a prisoner. We're going we're gonna to hear that again. He's going to use that term again, and we'll talk about it there. But um, he says he's also, it's also from Timothy, but then throughout the letter he uses I. He doesn't say us. He doesn't say we. He says I. So it's really from Paul. Who's he writing it to? He's writing it to Philemon, our beloved co-worker. So Philemon is the owner of Onesimus, as we'll find out. And to our sister Apphia, uh, and to our fellow soldier Archippus. So um, who are they? Uh, they are probably, uh, Philemon is, is probably the recipient. We, we understand that because Paul's using the singular form of you. You know, some languages don't have a single word for you. They've got two. And so Paul's using the singular form. Whenever he says you in this letter, he's saying you, Philemon. So uh, that's who he's writing to. But then he's also involving um, the sister, uh, Apphia. Uh, scholars tell us it would have been conventional to to include um, Philemon's wife here. So so uh, Apphia is probably um, Philemon's wife. And then our fellow soldier, Archippus, nobody knows who that is. It could be... Um, it could be a leader in the local church, or it could be their son, or it could be both. So uh, he's writing to all three of them, but again, he's really writing to Philemon. And then he uh, wishes them well. So he says, may God our Father and the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That's kind of the, hello, I am fine. And then he he, he goes on to the, the thanksgiving, which as we've seen in the first century, people would routinely include a thanksgiving in their letter, which kind of uh, set the stage for what they were going to write about. It would be kind of a table of contents. What are we going to talk about? So Paul Paul goes on and he says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. So he begins with a kind of standard Thanksgiving, but as you, as you kind of squint and try to say, what's he going to talk about? Well, he's talking about, he's talking about um, how how Philemon is a good guy. He's a he's a good Christian, and I really like that about you. You know, I don't just pray problem people to God. You know, a lot of us our prayers are problem people. Uh, but he says I include you in my prayers because you're one of the people that I'm thankful for. You know, you're not one of the people I'm always having to say what am I going to do about that person. He says I thank my God when I pray for you. He says because I keep hearing about you. What do I hear about you? I hear how generous and loving you are. You refresh the hearts of God's people. What a great guy you are. It would be great if you kept doing that. In fact, that's what I pray for. I pray that God will continue to help you express your generosity and go on refreshing the hearts of God's people. So, so we know that this is going to be uh, something very positive that he's, he's saying about, about uh, Philemon because he wants Philemon to go on being a positive guy. So that's, that's what he's set up. 
And um, so our first point is this. It's to pray because you because only God can issue commandments. So Paul Paul if anybody could issue a commandment it would have been Paul because because he's got a friendship because he's an apostle because he has personally been commissioned by the Lord Jesus he's got all kinds of reasons he could say if authority was what was needed in this situation I could issue commandments but ultimately only God can issue commandments so I'm not going to tell you what to do I'm going to ask you and I'm going to ask God because I'm hoping God will help you make the right decision. So, so, um, uh, our first point, uh, pray because only God can issue commandments. Uh, we see Jesus specifically tell his disciples to do this. Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers in the world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. And I know the church doesn't always act that way. And again, maybe that's some of your stories. Maybe you, you have that time when somebody told you what to do and they acted like they were Jesus, but they're not. They're not the Holy Spirit. And so um, the church is not to, to take on itself that job which is God. So, so we should pray because only God ultimately can issue commandments. So the letter picks up, we pick up the letter again in verse 8. He says, so that... Your generosity, the way you refresh people's hearts, that is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you, am I going too far? No, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus, I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. And this is a, this is a little word play. In the biblical language, the name Onesimus actually uh, is, is related to the word that means useful. He's saying, the slave that you gave a name useful to, and you can imagine if you had a bunch of slaves, you'd name one, you know, here's useful, and there's, you know, busy, and there's another one who's, you know, uh, handy, and you'd, you'd name your slaves like that. And he's saying, the one you called useful, boy, you got that wrong. He's never been useful to you. And in fact, that's part of the problem. But he's changed. He's changed, and now he's become useful. So he says, um, he hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now is he, he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your content, consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. So Paul says, Philemon, I'm an old man. I'm in prison. I'm your friend Paul. And I'm really asking you nice. Could you please do this? He says, I'm, I'm boldly asking a favor. I'm, I'm interfering in your business. I know this is none of my affair, but I'm going to be bold because we're friends and I'm going to ask you, can you please do something for me? Can you do a favor for me? He says, because, because of our love, we're friends. <laughs> He says, consider it a request. I appeal to you. Show kindness. The kind of kindness I just told you I talked to God about. He says, keep doing that kind of thing. He says, Onesimus hasn't been much use to you, but he's changed. He's, he's really helpful to me now. And even so, I'm sending him back. Even though I'm an old man and I'm in prison, I'm sending him back to you because this is your problem to solve, Onis, uh, Philemon, and I need you to do that. Can you please do that for me? And so our first, our second point is this. He says, ask nicely. 
if you want someone's help. Ask nicely if you want someone's help. How, how often do we not do that? Because really, we're still stuck on number one. We want to give commandments. We want to tell people what to do. We don't want to ask them. And it grates on us to say, hey, you know what? I'm actually going to need you to do something because I can't make you do it. I'm going to need you to do it. So I'm going to have to ask you nicely. And and so Paul doesn't power up. Paul, Paul does exactly the opposite. He powers down. He says, in what ways can I express my humble appreciation of you? In what ways can I show my humility as I ask you to do something that I can't do? He says, well, I'm old, I'm a prisoner. Paul, Paul lays it on thick. He says, I'm not proud. I'm not proud. I just want you to do this for me. So ask nicely. The apostle uh, James says this. He says, this even works on God. He says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. If that's true of God, how much more true of it is the person that you're trying to influence? If God can be appealed to by an earnest prayer, how much more if you just get off your high horse, don't try to command, and instead you say, here's what I wish you could do because I can't do it. So ask nicely if you want someone's help. All right. There are three implications of that. One is... Don't be, um, uh, it's okay to look weak. Uh, it's okay to look weak. Paul, Paul is proof. If, you know, we, we still remember his name 2,000 years later. If you're thinking, yeah, but I'll look weak and people will forget that I exist, Paul's proof that it's okay to look weak because people haven't forgotten about him. So go ahead and look weak. Um, recognize it's going to cost you. It's not free. It's going to cost you something. So, so what is it going to cost you? Well, first of all, it's going to cost you your pride. Because you're going to have to ask nicely, you're going to have to look weak. But second of all, um, it's going to cost you this useful guy who's been helpful. You're in prison. There's so much you can't do, and here's somebody who's very helpful to you. And you're going to have to let that go because it's not really yours. You're going to ha- you're going to have to. Um, it's going to have to cost you to ask for help. But probably the way it costs us the most is it's going to cost us social capital. And that's okay because social capital is for spending. Paul says, look, I've got this relationship. I can get a lot of favors out of Philemon. And the question is, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to bank it because someday I want to use it myself? Or am I going to say, you know what? Social capital is for spending. I have got an account in the bank of Philemon. And I'm going to draw some down now because that will help me solve this problem. So don't be afraid to look weak Um and uh, what were the others? So recognize it'll cost you and social capital is for spending. All of which is to say, ask nicely if you want someone's help. So we pick up the letter again in um, verse 15. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so you could have him back forever. I love that. Paul switches to the passive. You know, this is the, the you know, it's not that he ran away. It's not that he, uh, you know, had to had to hide because he he messed up the accounts. He was just lost. He was just separated from you. You know, mistakes were made. So nobody in particular did anything wrong here. It's just that Onesimus was away from you for a while. And he says, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while, so you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. We'll be that much more closely related, you and me, you, my friend Philemon, because we'll have a brother in common. And he, um, and, and it will mean more to you, um, not just because he's a useful slave now. Not, you know, he doesn't even mention that. He doesn't say, and by the way, he's now a useful slave. Instead, he says, he is a man and a brother in the Lord. He says, you will have a new relationship with Onesimus when he comes back. 
And so here comes the ask. He says, so if you consider me your partner, am I going too far? No, okay. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, uh, that's again, that's Paul's tact. He doesn't say, since he has wronged you and since he owes you something. He says, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. In the first century, it would be very typical. People would get uh, an expert to write things. Um, and so Paul is saying, I can write too, but it's just not as neat as the, the scribes. So, so I will intervene here and give you a little promissory note. So Paul says, I wrote, write this. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me my, your very soul. So the, the point here is don't be afraid to offer incentives. He says, he says, uh, you're going to get Onesimus back and it's going to be a whole new Onesimus. Yes, he's useful, but more than that, he is a brother. He's a brother of me. He's a brother of you. He's a man. He is somebody that he wasn't before because you never saw him in that light. And so you're going to get something better back than you lost. And besides that, whatever it costs you, I will make that up. So Paul says, I'm going to offer incentives to, to, uh, to Philemon. And again, we see an example of that. Even Jesus did this. In uh, in the Gospel, uh, Luke records this. Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you that anyone who has left house, husband, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, or children because of God's kingdom will receive many times more in this age and eternal life in the coming age. Jesus wasn't ashamed to offer incentives. And Paul wasn't either. So go ahead and offer incentives. Say, look, I need your help. I'm asking nicely, and yes, these are the things that will make it better for you. So go ahead and offer incentives. And then we're going to wrap up the letter. Paul says this. He says, yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter, you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Then he concludes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your, your spirit. And he finishes the letter. And we still haven't heard, what does he want Philemon to do? How does this get resolved? Now, as I said, there's some early, there's some early uh, traditions in the church that say that that uh, that Philemon became a bishop, I mean, uh, not Philemon, um, Onesimus was freed and became a bishop in the early church. And maybe it's the same Onesimus, we don't know for sure. There wasn't an, an Onesimus who was a bishop, we just don't know if it's the same one. Um, but but maybe maybe he he was hinting at, and he certainly seems to be hinting, that that um, that Philemon should, should um, free Onesimus. But he doesn't say it. He says, you're a good guy, I've asked nicely, and there's something in it for you. And then he says, all right. And at this point, it's up to you to decide what to do. He doesn't, he doesn't say, here's what I want you to do. Because he says, I'm going to trust you to do even more. So point four, when you're done, trust the other person. And again, this is something we have trouble with. Because remember, we still wanted to command them. We wanted to tell them what to do. Way back point one. And Paul says, no, you're a good person. I trust you. Take it from here. And you'll surprise me. And so we see this is what God does to us. There's a great story, a little piece of the story of uh, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. 
He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So you picture the scene, you know, there's God and, and the man in the garden, and all the animals come by, and God says, huh, giraffe. Well, I wouldn't have guessed that, but that's a good name, that's good. You go with that, okay? Hippopotamus? Works for me. Okay, you go right ahead. God gives the man the opportunity to be creative. And uh, if God gives uh, humans that, that capability, why shouldn't we? If God trusts us, why shouldn't we trust people? Um, and, uh, and this is also characteristic of God. We talked about prayer before. Um, Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know, our prayers, uh, you know, sometimes we ask prayers where we're saying, God, I want you to do this. I want you to solve this problem this way. And God basically has to say, I can't do that because I see a different picture than you do. And so if instead we simply say, God, here's the problem, and I trust that you will do more than I can ask or imagine, that's a great prayer. And it's the kind of prayer that Paul says God answers. So, so these are ways you can influence people. The, the, the ways we've looked at, Paul is a great example. We don't know, we don't know what happened, but we know this. We know that somebody preserved this letter. Philemon or Onesimus, Archippus, one of these other people, they preserved this letter and they made copies of it and they began to circulate it. Within a hundred years, it was part of the, the, the collections of Paul's letters that were being circulated around the Roman Empire. Somebody kept this letter because it was that important wasn't just a little private matter between them. They said, there's a lot to learn here about what to do, how we can be good Christians. Because we know that as Christians, we're called to get in other people's business. We're called to to bear one another's burdens, to ask, how's that coming? You know, do you need some help? What can I do to help you? Because you're not cutting it right now. We need to ask people, how can I help? And the reason for that is that we are related to one another. We hear Paul talking about uh, brothers, that we're all related as brothers. Elsewhere, he talks about how we're part of a single body, that we're the body of Christ, and, and uh, they're the foot and I'm the arm, or whatever it is, that, that, that we are related. We cannot simply shrug off their problems and say, well, that's for them to solve. We have to do what we can to bear one another's burdens. And the, the overall collective topic for that is what we call the communion of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you hear me talk about the fellowship or the communion of the Holy Spirit, that's what it means. And that's hard. And it's easy to do wrong. But Jesus knows that we need to do it. And that's why he gave us the gift we're going to celebrate shortly. Jesus said, I want you to have a meal together. To remember, the same way a family comes together to eat a meal, I want you to come together and enjoy the meal that is the Lord's table. So, I want to invite you to be part of this, but see it today not as something where Jesus is feeding you personally, but as something where Jesus is drawing us all closer together into the body of Christ so that we can, like Paul, get into one another's business in the best way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, the letter to Philemon. Uh, there is so much we are curious about. We would love to know how this turned out. We would love to know what Philemon did. Uh, but Lord, we thank you that... Um, it was preserved and we can learn something um, more important to us because none of us own slaves and none of us will ever have to deal with a runaway. Um, but Lord, we thank you that uh, here we can learn how we can, how we can influence the people around us uh, for good. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.